I got a random WhatsApp today at 5.53. Is this Avi Fishoff? I said, yes. Hi, I've been on the group with you for a while. I don't know which group, but there's like other groups, parents of kids at risk or something, or I don't know. And I'm looking at his picture. He's a young man, maybe 25, 26 years old with a wife. Hi, I've been on the group with you for a while. You speak really nice, and I have something very painful to share. I've been very depressed and contemplating suicide for a while. I'm in extreme pain, and I've been getting help from Amudim. The problem is it's not enough for me. I need someone who understands. I'm in a very unfortunate situation. I am married, and I've been a victim of abuse by Rabbeim and molested. I can't conduct a normal life. My parents failed me when I was younger, and now I have nowhere to turn. You seem to have this magical touch that whenever they come to you for help, they have success. I wish that was true. And perhaps I may be fortunate enough to receive your help. Okay. Um, So I just got off the phone with him. Um, Only 15 minutes on the phone with him. And he said, he just texted me, thanks for your 15 minutes you gave me. It's worth $15 billion in heaven. I appreciate your eagerness to help me. It's so sad. It's so sad. And on the phone he tells me, I don't think people know what pain is. I don't think people, regular people, could understand what it's like living in pain. I love my wife. I love her to pieces. I'm happily married. She's great. I have a baby. I have a child. I love him so much. And I just went on vacation for four days with my wife because I needed to get away. And at night I couldn't sleep. I had anxiety, panic attacks the whole night. And I was just staring at the balcony. And a whole night I was pushing and pulling because I really wanted to jump off the balcony. And he's living like this for years. For years. I happened to recognize his name. I checked in my notes. Probably about eight years ago, he came to Home Sweet Home with some people. That He was a kid then. For some reason, he didn't come in. He said, oh, I remember you. I remembered him before, but I didn't say anything. He said, oh, I remember you. I me- you you're the guy who had that house on PN 16th. I wish I would have ended up there. But I saw in my notes that he's fr- he was friendly with a certain rabbi that brought him to me that helps kids, struggling kids. So I told him, do you by any chance know this and this rabbi? He said, yeah. I said, oh, I think I remember that you brought him. He brought, brought you to me, right? He goes, yeah. I said, are you friendly with him? He goes, yeah, I speak to him once in a while. I said, would it be okay with you if I call him? He said, well, I mean, I know you think that like tomorrow everything will be fine, but I'm not going to make it till tomorrow. So, you know, he, you know, he's a busy guy, and I need somebody to come help me now. And I don't really know what my choices are and what my options are. So I told him, listen, there's, there's, there's somatic experiencing. There's the, the three principles of innate health. There's medication. There's, uh, you, you know, you can't live like this. I get it. But we have to find any way in the world that you should be not having to live in pain. And if God forbid he commits suicide, everyone's going to be saying, what's with these kids? It's like a fad. And nobody's talking about the murderer who's still out there. We have murderers walking around, killing people, and it's just an interesting murder because it kills them 10 years later or 15 years later. It's a very interesting murder. It's, it's a crazy thing. Why, what, what's going on? You go, you stab someone, and, and, and he doesn't bleed until 15 years from now, he gets internal bleeding and he dies. 
And we blamed the kids. And he told me, I don't want to go on drugs because I have friends that died. I know that's like a, a death sentence. Um, so I don't want to go on drugs. But I don't want to go on medication because I have friends that did that and it turns you into a zombie and I don't think I want... And, and I don't want to tell my wife about this, but I really think I have to leave for like a month and get healthy and I don't know where to go. I don't want to tell my, have to deal with my family. He has to worry about everybody else, this poor kid who everybody should be hugging and, and running to because he was stabbed. He's murdered. He's murdered. He's already dead. He's just physically alive. That's what some people say about sexual abuse. It's like you're killed and you're forced to continue living. It's like worse than death. Death, you die. A kid told me that at least when someone kills you, you're dead. Here, you die every day. Every night you go to sleep, you're hoping you don't wake up. You don't want to face... He said he, his wife thinks he goes to work every day. He just drives around. He doesn't know where to go. And, and, and you look at a picture. I told him, you have a beautiful wife. I looked at your WhatsApp profile. He said, yeah, she's so beautiful. She's so nice. She's so kind. I love her so much. I said, that's got to be enough. You know, you got to give yourself a chance. He goes, I know I have a wife and I have a kid and I love them. His life, in other words, is not quote-unquote bad today. He's not homeless. He's not penniless. He has, if he would wake up tomorrow morning and not have the past PTSD that's haunting him, his life today is fine. But we have to understand that the past pain that people go through, it's not in the past. Like the poster said, PTSD, it's not that the person is not forgetting about the past. It's that the past doesn't forget about the kid, the person. And it just grips them, and he's he should be the happiest guy in the world. And he can't sleep at night, and he has anxiety, and he has panic attacks, and he's in hell. And he's telling me, I don't think people understand the hell that, that people could be in. I told him, you're right, I also don't understand, but I, I worked with so many kids who explained it to me, and believe me, I really understand you, and I don't want you to live in pain anymore, but we got to find you. Maybe there's a pill. He goes, I don't want to take I said, listen, if somebody's walking with a limp, and then he could take a pill and not have a limp, it's better than having a limp. He said, oh, maybe, I have no choice. Maybe, I guess, maybe that's what I'm up to. Maybe you just take a pill just to get rid of your anxiety and your panic attacks, so that way you can find healthier ways to get out of it. Maybe he needs to go to a PTSD, a trauma center. But you know what the bottom line is? I'm doing this for so long, I really don't have any advice for him. I have a bunch of maybes. Maybe maybe somatic. Maybe he should go to Reggie Melrose or someone here. Maybe. Maybe he should do innate, innate healing. It seems to be like it's to be where there is a great guy. Maybe. You know, but he called Amudim. He, they said he, they sent me up with a great therapist once a week. He's great and they're paying for it. They're doing a great job. But it's not enough. I, I want to get him. I'm probably going to meet him tonight. The rabbi that's friendly with him just asked me, can I bring him to you? I don't do this. But he said, no, it'll be good for him to meet me. He'll see somebody cares about him. It sounds good, but I have no advice for him except that he can't give up and we have to find ways for our kids to get out of pain. And it's time for the world to understand these are not drug addicts. If this guy now would go on drugs, everyone would say, drug addict, Altaiva out of control, drugs is, a pro- drugs is not the problem, the internet is not the problem. These are all outlets there's always to numb pain. The problem is that we have an emotional holocaust going on today that's ripping apart huge chunks of Klal Yisrael and older people from our Dar who didn't experience this because it didn't exist or it existed very one in a 10,000 or whatever. We are in denial. We just don't understand. And, and we don't really internalize that hugs releases chemicals in the brain called oxytocin. 
and you got to hug your kids, and you got to not let them go, and you got to do everything you can, and then, ulai, maybe, and then look what happens, even some people do everything right, and it doesn't work out. But we're still beating the odds. We're not angry at the kids, and being frustrated with their sickness is not going to help them. And we got to find ways. We have to daven by the refuah. The Ebesh should create a new refuah. I'm dreaming about this Febreze thing that it also helps PTSD. You just psh, at night over the beds and wake up in the morning and everybody's happy. Everybody's healed from their pain. I heard the Israelis, there was an article, the Israelis are looking to pull out the memory from the brain so the person doesn't have to get triggered all the time. Halavai, right? You told me you did research out there in Seattle. Thank you. And I sent it to Ezi Finkel to do research on about the place for PTSD for army, people in the army. And, and it seems like an interesting idea, a trauma and, and addiction place. But I mean, yes, there's an addiction, but it's like that's so not the point. What you do when you're in pain is not the problem. Drugs is not their problem. Drugs is their solution. I would rather somebody does drugs than, than have to live like this poor guy. Can you imagine? You go to sleep at night and you can't sleep. And he said, I felt like I'm choking a whole night. You can live like that? And he doesn't want to take drugs. And, and he probably should. But I told him, don't take drugs. Get medication for anxiety. And that, but between me and you... I wish it was so simple. I wish they got medication and they felt better. And I wish that it really helped their anxiety. But it, it should work for him. It doesn't usually work. You get slapped with 22 diagnoses. And meanwhile, all of this mental illness and pain and anxiety and problems and addictions and everything is because somebody molested him and hurt him as a child. And that's almost always what it is. It's just unbelievable. And it bothers me that we call it sexual abuse. If I go ahead and I take a screwdriver and I go to a five-year-old and I poke him in the eye with a screwdriver, is it screwdriver abuse? This has nothing to do with the word sexual. And it's like, it's like a warped understanding what the person tormented the person with. So we think, oh, so oh, sexual is good. Oh, so this wasn't so good. This is, this is, a, this is a terror victim attack. This is the same as blowing somebody up in a bus it's same as terrorizing somebody. It's a trauma attack. It's a terrorist attack. And somehow it becomes like, oh, sexual abuse. What's, what, what, is it, what does it mean? What does it mean? You throw a cucumber at a kid and you make him crazy. It's cucumber abuse? It's, it's a terror attack. And what the person was thinking when he did it, and, and if he touched him or it doesn't matter. It breaks their brains. The fMRIs prove that brains are could be, some people, Baruch Hashem, are resilient, but it could give you brain damage that you could be happy and wonderful and have a great life and a wife and a beautiful wife. He's so happy. He said, I love her to pieces. You would think that, okay, so what's felt to you? Like, you know, you have everything in the world. You're happy. Happily married. What's better? And you have a kid who you love. And every minute he's thinking, he's like, I am not going to survive tonight. The question is, if, if, there, if there's so much to live for, then why don't they seek, want to seek out I'll tell you why. Because, uh, so the question was, if there's so much to live for, why don't, why aren't they motivated to seek out so much help? So the first answer is that part of this sickness is that it makes you very tired. It makes you, it's, 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 it's a, it drains you. It's debilitating. 
So it's like somebody with, with cancer who's half dead. Hey, why don't you this? Why don't you that? Also, it's very hard to be optimistic by the time that we're dealing with them because they were optimistic every year. It's going to be a new Aschala. I'm going to go to a new school. I'm going to go to a new summer. I'm going to try this doctor. I'm going to try this therapy. They were optimistic much more than we were. They ran out of gas a long time ago. Number three, it's very hard for them to trust anybody because it kills their trust. So who am I trusting? Oh, this guy is going to help me, this person. And number four, because nothing's really working. Yes, I'm trying to, tonight, I tried to boost him, and tonight I'm going to try to tell him, have a good attitude, but what are his chances that if he does one of these things, that he's actually, I mean, I'm praying, believe me. I'm praying, and it looks like I'm going to be paying also, because he doesn't have the money for it. So between praying and paying, I'll do my ishtadlis. And I hope, I hope he'll be a miracle story. We'll send him to California, we'll find a place where hopefully Reggie Melrose will take him, it's a perfect candidate for her. She's an amazing shliach. She really is. And, and he'll call me back in a week from now and say, wow, this is amazing. And in a month from now, in a year from now, happily ever, great, I wish. But they tried so many things, these kids. They were misled so many times. And, and what's the message to us? I said, what about your parents? <laughs> Good luck with them. Good luck with them. Good luck trying to get them to understand something. So this kid, who is innocent, innocent, not only has pain and suffering and pain and suffering, has parents who think they know better, who are disappointed in him. He's made, he's made bad choices in his life. He can't control himself. He's a Baltaiva. He's disappointing. He's a problem. He's an embarrassment. He costs a lot of money. He's very hard to... He's a manipulator. No. He's a wonderful, sweet little boy was tormented, was attacked by a terrorist attack that caused him to act all those ways. And he got his life back together. And he's from... And he's married. And he has a kid. And he still doesn't have parents who can say, I believe in you. How sad. I don't know what... I don't know what these kids did in the previous Gilgal to deserve this hell. What could they possibly, what sin did they possibly do in the previous Gilgal that Hashem says, this is going to be your life. You're going to come down, America the beautiful, we're not missing anything here, everybody's happy and life is great, and you're going to, you're not in Auschwitz, and you're not in, in the Ludge Ghetto, and you're not in the Spanish Inquisition, and you're going to have everything, and you're going to have nothing, and you're going to want to die every day, and you can't stop it, and nobody can help you, and you go to this Askin, and you go to this organization. Very nice. He told me. I called. He said he's very happy. He went to Amudim. He did the right thing. He said, oh, they were very nice to me. I still want to die. Okay, we got to do more. Maybe I'll have him contact them again. It's a wonderful organization. Maybe they'll get a psychiatrist involved. I don't know. But I know that these kids are in pain. And then when they do something to numb the pain, whether it's drugs or acting out sexually or uh, acting crazy or whatever it is, uh, all of a sudden comes all the brilliant people, all the geniuses, to throw them out. We gotta get the Rishoyim out of town. That's what they say in some places. You can't show them acceptance. We have to show them that we don't believe in you. We don't, you can't behave this way. And we have to have a maracha. How could he come to the family wedding? You know, it's a bad hashpa. You know, he's not, he doesn't wear a yarmulke. Like we're taking these kids who are so precious. And we're spinning the world against them. And what do we expect for them? If they wake up and they say, nobody believes in me. I am a pain to my mommy. I am a pain to my tati. I am their biggest, 
I'm their biggest fear, right? That I'm their worst nightmare come true. That they're going to have me. The whole thing, the whole thing is a misunderstanding. They look like they're bad. I get it. They're not listening to you. I get it. They're rebellious. They're defiant. They're dysfunctional. I understand. But here's the chap. The people really working with them all see precious good kids. Why did it have to be like that? Let's go back. Why do you have to have a guy, Avi Fishoff, who is telling you that they're good kids? Why can't I tell you, listen, I'm working with these kids for 15 years. They are rotten to the core. They're stupid. They're so dumb. They're selfish. And they're manipulative. But Hashem wants us to save them anyway. That's our Rabbi this Hashem. What's wrong with that? They're rotten, they're Esau, they're Eliphaz, they're, they're Amalek, they're Yishmael. But we have to be, we have to still chase them because that's what I think Hashem wants you to do. But that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the way they're acting is not defining properly who they are. I'm saying that this is just a mistake. I'm saying that the warrant for your arrest on the wall, it looks like you, but it's not you. It's a mistake. That's all I'm saying. And if you get past the wall and you take off your own... Again, I'm not against judgment. I believe in judgment. You should judge everybody, but judge them. But get it right. Get it right. Sit down and really judge them. Don't look out your window and say, oh, crazy kids. Look out your window. Say, crazy kids. Let me go spend a year with them. Right? Let me take them out to eat. Let me do some research and then judge them. And you know what you'll see? You'll see that you agree with me. With all the guys out there on the street, that these are precious jewels. These are diamonds. These are our sweetest, our brightest, our most wonderful, sensitive, caring neshamas. Why are we all coming up with the same conclusion? And why are we spending so much energy fighting people who don't know that? It should, it should, they should say, oh, thanks, I didn't know. Oh, wow, you're working with them for 15 years? Now, I have to argue with people who never got close enough to a kid to smell him, who never spent any time on this. Why don't they appreciate the research that we did? I did it by accident. I really, I, I, I did it by accident. I just decided I want to open up a home. I don't know why, well, what I was thinking. My wife was sure that out of all my crazy ideas, for sure this one won't work. So she said, yeah, 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 sure, open a home. Sure, open a home for kids at risk, sure. I went ahead, I spoke to everybody. I knew I have to speak to the people working. This is 15 years ago. There weren't that many things around. And everybody looked at me and laughed me out of town. Um, So were you ever a mentor? Did you ever work with kids? Do you have any training? Do you have any experience? No, I'm just going to open a home. And they laughed. And the truth is they were right. But somehow the experiment worked. Somehow we tapped into without any experience just that we're going to make them feel VIP, we're going to make them feel amazing. And somehow it's going to work. And they're going to stop the nourish of drugs. That was the whole thing. They stopped cold turkey the day they move in. Today, not one of them is a drug addict. We're just going to st- just cut it out. Just cut it out. I know. I Listen, <laughs> I know you don't want to do drugs, right? You're a Heimish kid, right? You're, you, you don't want to be that, right? You were on the street already a couple of years, right? I, I, come on. Listen, you come to the house, home sweet home. We're going to give you a job. You're going to work. Uh-huh. Yeah. You're going to go to sleep on time. You're going to wake up on time. Life's going to be great. We're going to give you fun every single night. We're going to take you on, on crazy fun with you. And you're going to love it. And I used to tell them, I came up with this chap after a couple of years because I realized how hard it is. They all came. They all told me afterwards, oh, we planned on abusing you. We planned on coming in for a couple of weeks and then just steal whatever we can and get away. So after a couple of years, I realized, I used to tell them, listen, 
after 60 days or 90 days, it was different for each kid, said, if you decide to leave, I'll give you $1,000. First it was 500 and 1000 whatever. I used different numbers for different kids. But basically, 90 days from now, they used to save up $1,000 a month. They save 250 a week from their work money. So you'll have $3,000 of your money, and I'll pay you $1,000 for leaving. And they would look at me that like, you're paying me to leave your pro. Yeah, but listen, I know that it's going to be hard, a hard adjustment for you. So every time that you're supposed to do something and you don't want to do it, do it because I'm paying you. You just behave. You just behave because it's an adjustment. You just behave, right? And I, I, they didn't behave. I had so much trouble from them, right? And I, my wife used to say, well, how come every emergency can't happen during daylight hours? <laughs> Why is it always 2.30, 3.30 in the morning? And I used to get woken up. My house phone would ring. would wake up put on my slippers, put on my robe, and drive over to the house. And I felt like I'm earning my stripes. I am earning my stripes. Every crisis, every one time a kid ran away, I waited at home until 6 o'clock in the morning. He came in, he opened the door, and he sees me there at the dining room table. Hello. Good morning. He's like shocked. I'm like, have a seat. That boy is married today. He's from, he's a boy from Cleveland. So for our Cleveland people here in the audience, I have I had two Clevelanders. They're both from, and married, kids. I mean, Nisim, Nisim, because I didn't throw them out. I didn't throw them out. I had kids that were so after like nine months. Oh, this kid, this was the kid. So after like nine months, he broke every single rule. It was like he was really good for nine months, and I was like, he had enough. Like he just broke every rule. So I called him over. I said, come to my house tonight. Came to my house, and I looked at him. I said, it's a year program. Because a lot of people, to get to the end, need a year. You are super advanced. And you're done. The reason why you're breaking all these rules is look at you were good for nine months. You can't tolerate it anymore because cause home sweet home is a lot of rules and babyish. You're ready to you're ready for the world. So tonight, my friend, you are graduated. Early graduation. And we're gonna make you a party. We made him a graduation party a few days later, and we got him an apartment. That's it. Can't throw people out because then we fail. We fail. So Home Sweet Home taught me that these kids are precious and good. And honestly, they're lovable. But only when you take off your, not glasses of judgment, your glasses of misjudgment. Take them out, take them off, and throw them away. And say that I'm not going to judge people unless I first, like every court case, spend time, look at the evidence. Yes, Michal Shabbos, very bad. He says F you all the time, very bad. Dysfunctional. He, he sleeps all, all, all uh, day, is up all night, yes. Steals, okay. We have all the evidence. Now, let's get to know the kid. Take him out for a few months. Spend time with him without judging him negatively. See what kind of a person. And you know what you'll find? You'll find that, oh my gosh, Hashem gave me a perfect person who was hurt by other people in such a sinister and disgusting way that nebuch, nebuch, nobody else can see it. Because if you're stabbed, Everybody at least carries you. Everybody, Everybody's there for you. Everybody's, ha- oh, look who's here. You have a knife inside of you. Great. You're in a wheelchair. Everybody's happy to see you. And these kids are stabbed. Nobody sees the knife. And sometimes they don't see the knife. They don't connect what happened to them 15 years ago to why now I'm disgusted from Shabbos. I'm working with a boy. He's from. He's not Shemesh Shabbos. He's from. I'm telling you he's from. He's can't keep Shabbos. He smokes a whole Shabbos. Most of the time that he went through terror attacks was on Shabbos. 
So you smell Kigel, and you say, mm, Shabbos is coming, yummy. Can't wait for the Kiddush. And he's thinking, it, it, it's a, his neshama is being attacked. Triggers and triggers. You're going to judge him? You're going to judge him? A precious neshama who's working now on Shmira Seinayim for the summer? And he's a dahibin of, a person? Who told me when my father, seven months ago, fell into a coma, that he kept Shabbos in so much pain as a schos for a refuah? Unbelievable. You, not that he kept Shabbos. You know, you think about it like uh, all the Freya people, they kept Shabbos, which is amazing. But they're not in pain. It doesn't hurt them. It's not hard for them. It's just they have to want to do it. But if they decide, I want to keep Shabbos for some reason, yeah, it'd be nice to remote control, you know, but they're not in pain. This kid was up a whole night in pain. His bed was full of sweat and tears. From his pain, because he couldn't get out and, and, and drive and, and, uh, and smoke cigarettes. And, and we think we know who's, who's good and who's bad, and who's right and who's wrong. And we think we understand this world of who's a tzaddik and who's a rasha. It's such a crazy thing. So you have to believe, believe, believe in your kid. And all these kids, you got to go out and you got to stop with the, oh, it's so hard for me. Oh, it's so embarrassing for me. you got to rip through that and do the hardest thing that you can do and say, I'm doing it l'shem shemayim. Hineni muchon umzuman l'kayim mitzvah to save this kid's life and v'haft l'reach ha'kamoicha and v'halach t'bedrachov and 82 other mitzvah says that there are. And I am going to save my kid and I'm going to save his friends. And I'm going to go out Friday night and I'm going to go to the park and I'm gonna march, right? And I'm gonna hug every single kid. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to the park. I'm gonna bring my friends, and they're gonna know there's somebody out there that doesn't hate me. I did it. I always speak about it. It's about a year and a half already, two years almost, right before Rosh Hashanah. As a schus for Yom Adin, I don't have time to go out to the parks. I really wish I did it more. But as a schus for Yom Adin, I wanted to go out and make a tzibrach and a person feel a little bit of love. What else can you do before Yom Adin? So I took my kids for chinuch purposes. Come with me. I'm not scared that my kids should see Chil Shabbos. Like these foolish people. Oy, and my kids are going to see that my, my aunt has nail polish. They're all going to go off the derech. They're going to see Chil Shabbos. They're all going to go be Mechal Shabbos. It, it sounds so funny to us, but it's a true thing. And they're losing mishpacha because of that. It's so painful. They have such a big mission that they're giving up for such a silly reason. Such a silly... I took my... I raised my kids every Shabbos from me, four years old to 22 years old. Every Shabbos there were kids coming to the house being Mechal Shabbos. So what? My kids want to be Mechal Shabbos? No, they want to save kids. They want to go out and be helpful. It makes them firmer. It makes them appreciate Yiddishkeit more. It gives them a depth. It gives them an understanding. And you don't have a choice. We're living in a time where there's no choice. You can't say, Shalom Yeli. Shalom Yeli, close my shutters. Okay, until it's in your house or your brother-in-law's house or your nephew's house. How could you do that? You can't do it anymore. you got to go out and do the tafkit of our generation to save souls. I always say it's like the Ludge Ghetto. You can have four very, very frum bachrim inside and there's a starving girl outside who's ripped clothing and you say, I can't bring her in for the meal. You know, it's not snia, she's not sanua. The biggest rebbes and the biggest, most holy people would hug her with their hands and bring her in at Sabrach and a person. And we have people making cheshbonis. So I took my kids 
21 and 16, 17. And I said, we're going to the park. And within a few minutes, I sat down next to a kid. They were standing next to the table. He was this very cute, 15-ish, 15-year-old kid, high, red eyes, drunk, sitting there. And I was schmoozing, where are you from? What's doing? How's it going? What's your name? And then another kid came, and another kid came. Two kids were behind me. I would have adopted every single one of these. These are our dangerous kids. Sweet, yummy, delicious kids. This one just got out of jail. His parents called the cops on him, and he had to sit because he broke in, and this one this, and this one that. Yummiest, delicious kips. A kip is a is a type of person. The, our kips are sweet if you, if you get past their pain. And within mamish a few minutes, the kid turns to me and he says, I don't get it. Why are you being so nice to us? Everybody else hates us. This is their perception. So when you go to the park Friday night and you hug him, he's not going to be able to say everybody else hates us anymore. Some people hate us. Some people don't hate us. And I turned to him. And I don't know what made me do this. I took off my glasses. I took off my glasses and I looked at, I said, look at me, look in my eye. Look in my eyes and tell me what you see. He looks in my eyes and he says, wow, you don't hate us. You're a good guy. That's all. They're going to look in your eyes. They could sense before you open your mouth. Am I your problem? Am I your, oh yeah, at night you go crying, you're going to go daven from my neshama? Or, or, or do you believe that I am good? Because they are mamish good. They're doing bad stuff. We all do bad stuff. Why do we think that our Averis are okay? Okay, their Averis are more extreme, but they have more of a tour for these kids who are in so much pain. Each one of them, and I've done this with them. I always tell them, I mean, you can't do this, but I did this with kids after I got to know them. Imagine that a paper opened up right in front of you, and all of a sudden a pen is in your hand. It says, sign here, and you won't do any sins for the rest of the year. Would you sign? And I've done this dozens of times. I once did it with 30 kids in a room. I was giving a shear to off the derech, um, Israeli kids. These kids look, they look Puerto Rican. They had, they're full of piercings and they only came to the shear because they were told they're going to get a meal afterwards. So you can imagine how l'shem shemayim, how much interested they were in, in Torah. So I had to entertain. And I, and I said it to them, 30 kids in the room. It was a packed room. I wonder how they're doing these kids years later. I'm sure they're okay. And I said, would you sign? Yeah, would you sign? Yeah, every single one of them signs. Sure, I would sign. I could sign a paper, and I don't sin till Yom Kippur. It's a great deal. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? These are our Rishayim. I told him, you know what you just proved? You proved to Hashem, you proved to the Malachim, you proved to yourself. You are the same as Yom Kanievsky. You're the biggest tzaddik in the world. They're able to somehow stick to it, and you can't, because you have a different life. But in the Ratzin, in the Ilam of Ratzin, these are our best kids. They want to be good, and they can't, because Hashem decreed, Xera, that they should be thrown and beaten into mud, into dirt, mamish, into the lowest, lowest levels. And we have an opportunity and a schus to save them, or at least to hug them, or at least to show them that we don't look down at you in the name of Tyra. People look down at them. They're hijacking Hashem's name. Because Hashem can't, he can't say anything. He gave us the Torah. And some people say, I have to hate you because Hashem told, told me that. So I hate you in the name of God. 
What could be a bigger chil Hashem? You're hating a Jew against the Torah, against what the Baal Shem Tov said, against what the Chazanish said, against what everybody basically says. And you're doing it in the name of Hashem. I can't look at you in the name of Hashem. So I'm telling you, Hashem hates you. Hashem hates you. Wow. Hashem hates you. And I'm represent, I am now rep, all you have to do, don't do anything. You don't have to know. You don't have to be an expert. If you don't have a heart, just, oh, fine. But no, I have to let you know in the name of God that based on my Torah learning and understanding, God hates you. I have to hate you in the name of God. And then, I'm just saying you got the wrong guy. You want to hate Rishayim? Go find me a Russia. Find me. Somebody told me, oh, so there's no such thing as a Russia? So I would love to meet one. I would love to meet one. The guy who's hating Jewish people who are, who are, in, 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 he's the Russia. Because he's hating Jewish people for no reason. It's a misunderstanding. But he's not giving the chance to understand. It's not his fault either. He sees a kid smoking on Shabbos. He thinks he's supposed to, supposed to hate him. Okay. But you didn't do your research. You didn't listen to the shlichim out there who all say, I don't think there's anybody working with kids for 10, 15 years who thinks they're dirty, rotten, rishoim, bali taiva. I don't think so. We're all, if they're so bali taiva, look at them five, 10 years later. Where's all the taiva? Healed. Biggest bali taiva in the world that they can't be normal, but five years later they're, they're healthy. How is that possible? Look at all the home sweet home kids. None of them are Bali Taiva. Come on, we'll make a, we'll make a meeting. I'll bring you 32 home sweet home kids. Most of them are Tashayim and Mitzvahs, almost all of them. A lot of them are married. Okay? And you'll inspect them. Where's the Taiva that we thought, that we blamed, that they're out of control? We're, nothing. It's not, that's not the story here. So please, we have to get the story right and we have to save these kids. Not just your own kids. You merited to have holy eyes to see Emmas. You have to go out there Friday nights and bring your friends and give them a hug. You don't know how to heal them. I don't know how to heal this kid tonight either. But I'm going to give him a hug. I'm going to give him a hug. If that's all I can do, okay, so I'm doing what I can do. I'll give him a hug. I'll offer to pay for his therapy. I'll I'll show him that there's somebody in the name of God who loves him. I'm going to tell him that I love him. I'm going to tell him that Hashem loves him. I'm going to tell him that he's good and that this is not his fault and that he's in pain and that he's a carbon seabor. I don't know if I want to say that. They don't like hearing that. Like, you know, no thanks. You know, let someone else be the carbon seabor, atoning for Klai Yisrael's sins. But that's what we know. They're not shuldig. And we have to make the world believe this in their core. Otherwise, we're going to lose kids and lose kids and lose kids. Every day, another kid goes off the derech. We're hemorrhaging. This is Avi Fischoff, and I can be reached at twistedparenting at AOL.com.